You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elijah, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elijah said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house but a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went with him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, and brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children on the rest. Last week we talked about this story. We worked our way actually through this text. And I just want to review this story quickly and make three very quick and simple points that one that we got into last week and the other will be fresh for this morning. Last week we saw the cry of a nameless, helpless widow. Here she had done right. Her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. Uh, He had served the Lord faithfully. He had served in an environment that was countercultural. The government was not for him. The culture was not for him. And yet he served the true and living God. He was faithful. He was doing right, doing the right thing. And then, she says, thy servant is dead. He's gone. He's finished. And not only that, he's dead, serving you, doing right. Now disaster is coming. The debts have to be paid, and we have nothing. And again, we're reminded in our lives, there comes times when we are trying to do the right thing and be right with God, and all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. The truth is, all of us are needy people who need help. Every one of us this morning. And we can look good and we can dress good, but the truth of the matter is, within all of us, there are needs, there are feeblenesses, there is weakness. And so she comes crying to the Lord. And in this story, we see several things. Number one, we see God's tenderness. She comes to Elijah. And at first, that might not mean anything to you. But remember, Elijah is the prophet of God. In the Old Testament, he was the man. He was the representation of God to his people. So she comes and she cries out. And not only does she cry out, but this woman then gets an audience with God. Elijah says, what can I do for you? And that, again, might not seem like a big deal, but the last chapter, when the king of Israel comes uh, before Elijah, Elijah says, in essence, get out of my face. I'm not talking to you. And if it wasn't for the fact that you're standing next to a descendant of David, I wouldn't even 
I wouldn't even look at you. But this woman, who is nameless, who is helpless, comes. And she has access to the ear of God. I want you to know this morning, she has access to the ear of God because she's part of God's covenant community. She had served the true and living God. And the fact of the matter is this morning that we have access to the Father as well. It is not because we are good. It is not because we are religious. It is not because we're clever or spiritual. We have access with the Father because not only do we stand near a descendant of David, as believers this morning, we stand in the descendant of David, Jesus Christ, who gives us full access to come before the Father in all of our needs. Because of Jesus Christ, he has entered into the heavenly heaven itself, to appear in the presence of God for us, once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and his blood is the purchase of this new covenant. My friend, listen to me this morning. God is not obligated to anyone. He is the God of heaven, and yet he bends his ear to his people in their need and in their discouragement and in their feebleness. We have access to God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Christ came, he lived, he fulfilled the law, he died on a cross, he was buried, he rose again with our freedoms, and now he stands as our high priest. We read the verses, or were read this morning, that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who sympathizes in all of our weakness. He was tempted like we were, yet without sin. Therefore, now we come boldly to the throne of grace, We can find grace to help in our time of need. This morning, I want you to know, believer in Christ, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter your feebleness, we have the ear of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have a high priest who knows, hears, and is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. This God of heaven is tuned toward his desperate children. We thank God for this. But I want you to notice as we finish off this morning, God's tenderness, or his tendencies. We saw his tenderness, now his tendencies. We get a glimpse now how God operates in the lives of his people. Number one, God in his tendencies is better than we can dream. God with his children is better than we could imagine. This nameless, helpless widow, she's hoping just to find sympathy. She has no answer. She asks Look at this. She asked for nothing. She just comes crying in despair. She tells of her situation. And so Elijah says, listen, here's what you do. Go, get vessels, close the door, take what you have, fill it up. And she does. He then tells her in verse number 7 of our text, sell the oil, pay the debt, and you and your kids live on the rest. This is the tendency of our God He does more. It's better than we can dream. Listen to me. In our brokenness, in our despair, when we think this is it, our God's ear is bent toward us, and he will do exceedingly abundant, infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. His tendency for us is to to do better than we dream. Point two. Not only is his tendency to do better than we dream, but he begins with our destitution. Elijah says, What do you have? Now, be careful with her answer. This woman is not saying, 
well, I've got some oil, and I think this oil is a, the answer to our problems, so I've got this oil, you just multiply it and make this thing work. That's not what she's saying in the text. The truth is, she has nothing. She says, I have nothing, that's why I'm crying out to you. She recognizes her helpless and hopeless situation. I don't have anything but a pot of oil. Now listen to me. Elijah's question may sound vaguely familiar to those of us who are familiar with the Word of God. Hey, what do you have in the house? I've got this little oil. Listen to this question that's asked of Moses in Exodus chapter 4. Moses is concerned about his people. They've been in bondage. And God appears to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of, out of, out of Egypt. And he says, God, you've got the wrong guy. I can't speak well. If I go, they won't believe me. Who am I going to say is sending me? I've got nothing. And here's what God says to Moses. Hey, what do you got in your hand? A rod? A stick? And Moses' response is like this widow who's saying, I have nothing. Nothing. It wasn't like when God said, hey, what do you got in your hand? A stick. And Moses says, oy vey, the stick, of course, the rod. This is how you're going to deliver your people. He had no idea. What he was saying is, God, I have nothing. I am destitute. I have nothing to offer. There is no way this situation is hopeless. God starts in our nothingness. Continues in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 6, we have the story of the disciples. Jesus is preaching Long, all day long. They're in a desert place. Let's, let's pick up the text here in Mark chapter 6, verse number 36. The disciples say, send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the village and buy themselves some bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, give ye them to eat. Remember, 5,000 men plus women and children, right? 12 guys, hey, you feed them, give them something to eat. And they said unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And just so that you know what he's talking about there, what they're saying is it would take the salary of of eight months to feed this many people. So do the math in your head, your salary for eight months to feed these people. What they're saying is, God, Jesus, it's insane what you're asking us to do. There is no way to do this. So in verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. You know the story, Andrew finds this kid. He's got a lunch. And the lunch consists of five loaves and two small fishes. And when you think of loaves, maybe you're thinking about, oh, Frenchy French, the big baguette. That's not, that's not the loaf here. It's not. They were wafers. That was a terrible French. Um, Mike actually does um, impressions, personations. Doesn't he? He does. What's the guy from Third Day that you sing like? Can you sing like him just for a second? That's really good. Thank you. Yes, because he does me too. 
He does. He came to my house and he, he preached like I preach. Right? It was terrifying. Right? That was a terrible French. That's not. But we think, okay, here's this bread. And of course, there's five loaves of bread here. These were small wafers and biscuits is what they were. And the two small fish were probably pickled. You Dutch would like this, some pickled fish, right? What they find is a small boy's lunch. That's it. That's it. That's all they had. And this is our God. He starts with our nothingness. That's what he does. This is the God that we serve. What do you have in the house? I've got nothing. What do you have in your hands? I've got nothing. What do you have to feed them? I've got nothing. And God says, that's okay, because I've got everything. Everything. This is our God. He begins with our destitution. This is how salvation begins. Does it not? We don't come to God with our religion and our self-righteousness and look, God, you're getting a prize with me. The truth is, God didn't get a deal with any of us. I love the old hymn, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demand. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for rest. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, else I die. My friend, this morning, listen to me. If you don't know Christ, there is nothing to bring to him. Your goodness, my goodness, our religion, our our benevolence, It does nothing for us. We come as we are, broken and needy people, the Savior who died for our sins. This is how God operates. He begins with our destitution and salvation, and he begins in our destitution with the salvation of our struggles. We're all struggling. I look around this auditorium, and I know some things. People who struggle with loss, Love one. The last couple of weeks, death after death after death. Those who struggle with health issues, chronic pain, chronic suffering. Those with broken hearts, weeping for their kids, the lost. Those in financial trouble, problems and difficulties. We struggle. The very thing that symbolizes our destitution, our helplessness, our brokenness, our God makes the means of our help and blessing. Things we don't understand, the things we struggle through, God takes those things and makes them help and blessing. In our destitution, in our brokenness, in our infirmity, in our smallness, in our non-talentness, in our nothing-to-offer-ness, The creator of God moves and he speaks and he makes something out of nothing. And this morning, believer, in your struggle, in your pain, in your suffering, in your infirmity, in your brokenness, God is 
willing and able and ready to move. This is our creator. And when he speaks, he brings forth his beauty and his creation. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9-6. He said, in his destitution, in his pain, in his suffering, your grace is sufficient for me. Your strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, my feebleness, my frailty, my sickness, my weakness. Why? Because the power of Christ then rests on me, and God is glorified. Listen to me. When we come, he does better than we could dream, and he starts and begins in our destitution. This is, if you're broken this morning, if you're suffering this morning, if you're struggling this morning, you're exactly where God begins in his amazing work of our destitution. And then finally this morning, he builds up what we find difficult to believe. Our God builds up what we find difficult to believe. Here is a broken, beaten down, nameless, helpless woman. She is at her wit's end. It is over. She is broken. She is just hanging on. And yet, notice, the God of heaven does not seek to crush her. He does not seek to, um, to quench that smoldering flame. The fact is, he is at work, and this is the nature of our God. Listen to Isaiah 42.3. A bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax or wick shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. This is our God. And the truth is, he builds up what we believe is so difficult. We we could never imagine in our own brokenness or the brokenness of others that God could ever do anything. I have to tell you, this morning, I was so blessed to see Mike, Tarika, and Zion. We have history. Kim and I get to see the other end of the story often. I remember Mother's Day. Tariqa came to our house, sat on that sofa, and wept. I remember confrontations with Mike. Believe it or not, I'm not very confrontational. Um, but I remember, I remember going to where Mike worked at the time, waiting in my car for him to get out. I think there's laws against that now. It's like stalking, Right? I was so upset and broken because Mike had come here, and I knew the potential. I have to tell you, after some time, if I were a betting man, and I'm ashamed to say it, but I would have bet my life that this man would never have gotten it. That would have been my bet. And in my pride and in my self-righteousness, I just thought, that one's done. That's a write-off. We'll pick up the broken pieces and we'll square this away, but there's no chance for that one. The problem with that is, that is not our God. When we are broken, when we are bruised, when we're just hanging on and we're smoldering, there is still something there. There is still a spark. There is still a root. God is still at work. All glory be to Christ. My Brother and sister this morning, listen to me. Be very careful at writing people off. But we do it. 
Because we worked and we prayed and we cried and we wept and we've given year after year after year. And it seems as if they will never get it. That believer is not coming back. That child is gone forever. That friend has just walked away. We're done. But listen to me. The story is not over. And our God is at work. And so, believer, be careful. The bruised reed, he will not break. And the smoking flax, he will not quench. And this morning, if you're here, and that's your story, that you are the bruised reed. That you are the smoking, smoldering wick. Remember that he will build up and strengthen what we find difficult to believe. There is hope in our God. (laughs) He is amazing. He's at work. Richard Sibbs, the great Puritan, said this about the text in Isaiah. If Christ be so merciful as not to break me, I will not break myself by despair. Nor yield myself over to the roaring lion Satan to break me in pieces. And Christian people do this. Some of us, we have this past, that it's our past. And over and over again, we go back to like, oh my goodness, I'm so broken. I've got these defects. I did this and this sin. And Satan uses that, and our, our own self uses that to say, listen, you're done. How could he care? How could he be concerned? You're broken. You're smoldering. Listen, if Christ be so merciful that he will not break you, then don't break yourself. Receive the grace and mercy that Jesus freely gives. And these men this morning are a living testament of that. And some of you are a living testament of that. If you find yourself this morning struggling through that, then I would say to you, Christ, he will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flash. Our God is tender. His ear is turned toward his children. He welcomes them to the throne of grace. Think, God's throne is called, we call it anything, anything. It's a throne of grace, unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And yet he calls us to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in our time of help and need. Believer, turn to him. Lost this morning, turn to him. God's tendencies we see in the life of this dear woman. He is better than we dream of or could ever dream. He begins in our destitution. And he builds up what we find difficult to believe. May we take the word of the Lord this morning, not soon forget what he's spoken to our hearts, allow him to minister to us in grace today. Let's have a word of prayer.